Good morning, everyone. If you want to, if you want to read along, um, Titus chapter two, either on page eleven ninety eight or eight forty four, depending on which version you have. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, it teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Good morning everyone. A big welcome to you if you're new or visiting. I'm Scott. I'm uh, one of the ministers and I'm uh, happy to uh, bring God's word uh, to you today. And Good morning to you if you're watching on the live stream. I know that some of you are unwell and uh, able to join us in this way. It's great to have you with us uh, sharing on the live stream. Uh, I'd like to lead us in prayer as we uh, come to think about um, God's word. Father, thank you for uh, enlightening us with the uh, light of your gospel and uh, granting us the power of your spirit that we would understand your word and, uh, Father, we pray that uh, we would not only be those who understand it, but uh, that it would be uh, reshaping our uh, thinking and our priorities and our uh, sense of identity of, as to who we are uh, because of Christ and what he has done for us. And we pray for these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Australians are the most sinful people in the world. Uh, that's, uh, that's true. It's actually according to some research which was published by none other than the BBC. And uh, you think to yourself, what? <laughs> how, I mean, wh why? How dare they say that about us? 
Well, there is, uh, friends, a reason for that. And uh, you see, there's a thing which is called the seven deadly sins. Um, ever heard of the seven deadly sins? Uh, look, it's not biblical. It's just something which is uh, tradition in some churches. But uh, there's a list. Uh, the sins of uh, lust, gluttony, greed, laziness, anger, envy and pride. The seven deadly sins. And in a uh, study of 35 nations, the researchers found that, um, that Australians actually ranked very highly in all each of the seven categories, in fact, uh, scoring an overall position of first place, with the Americans uh, very close behind. Now, of course, Australian academics uh, disputed those findings, um, pointing out that the research methodology was somewhat questionable, uh, or maybe the researchers were just jealous of the money we earn, the holidays we have, and the food which we eat. And I reckon that Australians, we've We've got a lot to be thankful for, don't we? You're thankful for who, uh, what we've been given. Um, but when you think about it, the values which we absorb, um, which make us, you know, that give us the lifestyle that we have, uh, can actually be very, diff very different to uh, what God values, especially through advertising, uh, which keeps on selling us the lifestyle of owning more things and experiencing more, more pleasures, um, which can tempt us uh, to be greedy, envious and proud. Now, last week in uh, Titus chapter 1, we learnt about the people of Crete. Do you remember that if you were here with us last week? And uh, I guess what we'd say that if um, th those people of Crete in the first century, if they were around today... Well, I reckon they'd have a pretty good shot at the title of being the world's most uh, sinful people uh, because uh, the way that they're described uh, in Titus is not exactly flattering, is it? Uh, they're described as being always liars, evil brutes and lazy gluttons. And uh, the gospel had come to the, to the island of Crete. And yet uh, in the churches there were people who were teaching things which were false, um, things which were described as, well, they, these people were ruining whole households by their false teaching, teaching things which were not true and ruining whole households. And so uh, in ch chapter 2, verse 1, you might want to have that open in front of you, as Paul has written to his uh, um, colleague Titus, he instructs Titus that Titus is to do the exact opposite to what these false teachers are doing. That uh, Titus uh, is to be teaching of what is in accord with sound doctrine, uh, which basically means healthy teaching, because healthy teaching leads to what kind of a church? It leads to a healthy church, a healthy church. Now, one of the things which I love about um, church and love about this church is the, the blend of people, um, people of different ages, of different um, backgrounds, of different life situations, uh, where we face different temptations because of our circumstance of life, but we also have uh, different opportunities to help one another because of our experience of life. 
And uh, so in Titus chapter 2, rather than ruining whole households by his teaching, uh, Titus is to do the opposite and he is to teach uh, different kinds of people in terms of the categories of, of households, different kinds of groups within the church. So in verse 2, there were things Titus had to specifically teach older men. Take a look at it. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Now, I'm not sure that there is a specific age when a young male becomes an older man in, uh, in our culture. I mean, I was young for the whole of my life <laughs> until one Sunday uh, here in church. And I had invited a, uh, a, a, um, a student minister to preach and uh, someone said, well, it's good to have a young preacher for a change. And the penny dropped. <laughs> I thought, I have just transitioned from being the young, young preacher, the young man who doesn't know anything, to now I'm, I'm the old guy. <laughs> I'm the old guy. Now, some older men think that they should be respected simply because they've kept breathing for more years than anyone else. <laughs> but here we see that such a man has to, an older man has to be someone who is worthy of respect. Worthy of respect. Someone who is temperate, which means level-headed. Someone who is self-controlled. Someone doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't lose his temper or doesn't just easily give in to temptation. But someone who is healthy in his faith, in his love and in endurance. That is what Titus is to teach older men to be. Healthy in their faith, in their love, and in the endure in endurance. Now, this is the, uh, the the man who hasn't dropped the ball uh, through the challenges of life. Uh, he hasn't become lazy and selfish. Uh, he hasn't thought, "Well, I'm an older man now. I, I, I'm, I'm, I've made it. I don't have to keep on growing as a Christian." No, this is the man who keeps on growing as a Christian. Who keeps on trusting in Jesus and acting in love towards other people. Now, I think I wonder if you can think of an older Christian man who you really respect. And uh, my guess is that he's probably a bit like that, isn't he? The kind of person that, that Titus was to teach older men to be. What about women? Uh, verse 3. Likewise, says Paul to Titus, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live not to be slanderous or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. So what is Titus to teach older women in the churches? To be reverent in the way that they live, which basically means it's saying teach the older women to be, to be godly, to be godly in their lives. Now that's very broad, isn't it? But specifically, he is to teach them not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. Now that um, sounds like someone who's not very productive, someone who's got too much uh, time on their hands, idle time for drinking and gossiping and uh, running down other people, malicious talk and so on. 
when instead they should be filling their minds with God's word so that they can be not only older women but godly older women who are able to teach others what is good. And you can't give away what you don't have yourself, can you? They are to be godly older women. And notice here that whereas uh, Paul instructs Titus himself uh, to teach the older men and to teach the older women and later on to teach the slaves, uh, the responsibility of teaching the younger women is not primarily Titus's responsibility, is it? No, it's actually primarily the responsibility of the older women. You see, in verse 4, if the older women are reverent in the way that they live, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, when Cassie and myself were young parents, we were very blessed to have uh, older women uh, in the church which we belonged to, um, older women who were godly, uh, mostly married or widowed, uh, women who loved the Lord, who loved their husbands, and had prayerfully raised their children up in the knowledge and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these were women who, um, being godly, took interest in other people. (laughs) They were not self-absorbed, didn't just hang out with other older women either. They understood the needs of younger women and they genuinely cared with godly wisdom and with action, um, being very, very helpful. And that's a ministry that older women have. Uh, to younger women. And it was care which was based on uh, not a worldly understanding, but rather on a, on a biblical understanding of family. And uh, to be honest, a biblical understanding of family can sometimes clash with our culture, can't it? It can. For in verse 5, older women are to train younger women to be, quote, busy at home and, quote, subject to their husbands. It doesn't always sit very well, does it? And we can understand why, uh, because the way that um, relationships have been um, done wrongly and abusively. But in God's good design for relationships, although men and women are absolutely equal in value, We are different in our roles. Um, In Genesis chapter 2, Eve was created in order to help Adam. Not to be dominated by him, not to be ruled by him. That is abuse, and which which is contrary to God's word and which ought never to be tolerated. But rather, in here in verse 5, being subject to her husband means respecting him in the responsibility that he has to lead his family, especially in godliness. And being busy at home um, doesn't mean that a godly young woman can't work outside of the home. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 31, the uh, godly wife, uh, she, she had her own business and did very well at it. But such work supports 
rather than undermines her commitment to her family. Now, there is a flip side to this, of course, as well, and that is that being busy at home ought not to lead to household idolatry, where the family or the family home becomes an end in itself, uh, rather than being a place to raise a family and to be hospitable and kind uh, towards others. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it seems that there were, uh, at the, at, in the first century, that there was some false teaching at that time which led some uh, Christian women to believe that um, because in heaven there is no marriage, that as Christians they were now free from, um, from, from family responsibilities. And that is something which Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 had to correct. And we can imagine non-Christians observing that kind of uh, uh, behaviour and being you know, very unimpressed and actually maligning the word of God, um, maligning the gospel and saying, look at what happens to people when they become Christians. But when they see Christian families living as God intended, the impression is very different. Which is why in verse 6, Titus uh, has a ministry to encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Now, self-control is, self is something which we all need, isn't it? Uh, and uh, there is specific instruction here that is to teach um, the, uh, that, um, <clears throat> that uh, the older men and the younger women were to be taught to be self-controlled, but self-control is a big issue for young men in particular. And the best way that Titus can teach them is through his own example. And in everything, says Paul in verse 7, to Titus, set them an example. And that, that is, the, the word which is used there is the word which is like a, a die cast. You know, where they, they put um, molten metal in and they press it and, they, and you get a coin coming out of it. Like the, every coin is the same, right? But he's saying here, you are to be an example, you are to be a, like a die cast for them by teaching what is good. And in your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech which cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Now, Titus could not himself be an example of an older man. Not yet. Or an example of a woman. But as a younger man, his life was to be an example to other younger men. A model, a die-cast, a model of good works. Uh, not like a pastor who teaches one thing and then lives something quite differently. Integrity. Seriousness and soundness of speech. Or to flip that around, God's truth with conviction which matches his life. Integrity. And it's what young men need. It's what young men need now more than ever. Godly role models. So that even if an enemy was digging around for some, for, for some, uh, for some dirt on Titus, uh, they would come up with nothing. They would find nothing on him. Unlike some pastors today who are more like celebrities 
than godly leaders. So, uh, men and women, older and younger, together in the church, it's a bit like family, isn't it? A bit like family. But uh, in our households these days, I think we tend not to have slaves, don't we? You might feel like one sometimes. <laughs> uh, yet in the first century in Crete, they did have slaves. Now, these were not slaves uh, that were exactly the same as um, slaves, say, in the southern states of America in the 19th, 18th and 19th centuries, uh, who were there for life with no hope of anything um, other than being a slave. Uh, these were slaves, some of whom uh, sold themselves into slavery, some of whom were captured in warfare and so on. But uh, these were slaves who would work on their master's property or work in their master's business um, without pay, just with accommodation and food, and uh, eventually they would be freed. Um, some of them didn't even want to be freed because their position was actually reasonably good. But not always. Mostly their position was not all that great. Um, some uh, slaves did find true freedom in the gospel of Jesus. And so in verse 9, Titus is to teach slaves uh, to be, quote, subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. <laughs> and why? Well, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. And some of their masters might actually become Christians too. You know, in the Roman Empire, uh, there were legal restrictions on how a man could treat his wife and children, but with slaves, uh, well, he could do with them anything he wanted. And so it's easy to imagine why a slave might want to disobey his master, his or her master, or steal from the master. And in fact, in our culture today, I reckon we'd be saying, well, good on you. <laughs> you know, go for it. Fair enough. But Christians are to be countercultural. Now, of course, in Australian culture, um, there are, many of us are, are attracted to some of the values in this passage. Uh, most Aussies, I think, are attracted to the idea of the older man who is actually worthy of respect. Or the younger woman who is, um, is uh, keen to learn from the skills and the wisdom of, of an older woman. Or, or the young man who is actually quite responsible. And the worker who is trustworthy. Uh, we, we respect those values. It's part of our culture to respect those values. But there is also a flip side to that. Because as Christians we can sometimes find ourselves out of step and even ridiculed for practising those same things. <laughs> for uh, choosing self-control rather than selfish pleasure. Uh, for choosing family over career. For choosing to be honest at work when our workmates are ripping the system off. And sometimes we can be tempted to be the same as them. And so why then should we live like this? Well, I want to draw your attention to verse 11 where there is a, an important word. It's right at the very beginning of verse 11. It's the word for, uh, which means because of what I'm about to say. <laughs> and what is Paul about to say? 
Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, to all kinds of people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and instead to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the glorious hope, the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. And that's a whole sermon in that, isn't there? But the grace of God in Jesus, who gave himself up on a cross to pay for our sin, not so that we could keep on living um, the way we are, not so we can be indistinguishable from the culture around us, but rather to be different. <laughs> See, in verse 14, Jesus did not only redeem us from wickedness, what else does Paul say that he did? He did it to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And I take it that most of us here are Australians. All right? There's people from other, uh, of other nationalities as well. Um, and uh, I love being Australian. I love living in Australia, don't you? But as Christians, we have a higher identity. A higher identity. We have a, 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 an allegiance uh, an identity and an allegiance, which, an allegiance which transcends our fallen culture. For in Christ, God has created a new people. God has created in Christ a people who now belong not to this world, but to him. A people who are his very own. And that's us. And that's us. So then, how should we be known? Well, it's summed up rather nicely in verse 10 that by our lives we should make the teaching of God our Saviour attractive. Now, think of your life as being like a beautiful jewel which adorns the glorious gospel of Jesus and attracts others to him. In fact, that's literally what the Greek says here, that your life is like a beautiful jewel that should adorn the gospel of Jesus. How do you think that most Australians become Christians or attracted to Jesus? I tend not to think it's not. It's, I tend not to think it's because of uh, you know successful church marketing campaigns, or even having a very very cool uh, church website. Uh, it's often because uh, they have realised that life is about more than just the money we earn, the holidays we have, the food we eat, and they've realised sometimes through um, painful experience and reflection just how hollow the promises of our culture are. And then they've met someone who is different, someone who is self-controlled, who is worthy of respect, 
who is honest in their job and that's someone who shared with them about Jesus and they've realised, hey, what they're saying about Jesus and how they live their lives kind of matches. <laughs> kind of matches. The people of Crete were known for being always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Australians, according to the BBC article, are the world champions for sin. <laughs> we got the title. But if you belong to God's very own people, what is your reputation? What kind of person are you known to be? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that in your grace that you've sent Jesus to redeem us from uh, all wickedness. You sent Jesus to, uh, to give, over, give up his own life for us on the cross so that uh, we might now become your people, your very own people, people who are eager to do what is good because of what you've done for us. We pray, Father God, that as we uh, navigate the uh, temptations uh, in this life, that you would help us to be, um, uh, to be grounded in your word and to be faithful to it, that others might see in us something of the glory of the gospel and be attracted to Jesus and that you would be honoured. Amen.